If you're comfortably able, would you remain standing? This is the way we honor God's word. Today, it comes to us from Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, since just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam, who is the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But the law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The early church father, Irenaeus, said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the second half of this chapter, Paul contrasts the, t the two key figures of humanity, Adam and Christ. And Paul is insistent. There's Adam to whom all humanity is related. We are all related to Adam, but there is also Christ. And in the grand scheme of things, Paul sees these two figures as prototypes standing in stark contrast to one another. Did you know that you belong to Adam's family? Did you know this? We all belong to Adam's family. You might remember the old TV show, The Adam's Family. Do you remember this, if you're old enough? Remember it had the greatest theme song of any, right? They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adam's Family. Remember you'd snap at the end of that? Remember this? Do you ever wonder if you live in Adam's Family? Do you ever think about this? Do you ever look at your family of origin and think, are, is everyone like us or are we different? Do you ever look at other families and go, I wonder if they have that one member who's irritable all the time. I wonder if other families have that member who has a short fuse. Do other families sometimes want to strangle their kids? I mean, these, is that, or is that just in my family? I mean, you wonder about these things. 
Do other families struggle sometimes and have trouble with relationships? I heard the story of a father and a buddy who was single. This married man was talking to a single friend and they were talking about, and the father was telling about the wonders of married life. He said, do you know what it means to come home at night and have three wonderful, beautiful, obedient children that are just so glad to see you? Do you know what it means to come home at night and have these kids think you are the most perfect person in the world and have them hang on your every word? The single guy says, no, what does it mean? And the father says, it means you're in the wrong house. (laughs) This is essentially what Paul is saying in this chapter. Whether we like it or not, fair or unfair, we're all living in the wrong house. We've all been thrust into the wrong family. We belong to Adam's family. We're a part of it. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, so it spread to all because all have sinned. Adam made a tragic, sinful mistake in the garden, and every one of us suffer daily because of it. Every one of us has him to thank, and we all live under his headship. The, the theological descriptor phrase for this is federal headship. What is a federal headship? It is a person who, through a covenant or legal relationship, represents or stands in for others or a group of people. The actions of that one person, for good or bad, um, the impact, it, it, it is passed down to, to those he or she represents. We have many examples of this in everyday life as parents, right? Do not our kids have to live under our headship in our family? What we decide, what we say affects them. Lawyers in a collective negotiation or a settlement, and in some ways, but in all ways, this is true of our government or our president. If our president decides to go to war, does that not affect all of us in some way? All of us are affected by this or declare peace. This principle of federal headship is true spiritually um, in God's governing of humanity. Paul is saying, is, what he's saying is that Adam was the representative for all humanity that would come. In verse 12, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Verse 15, for the many died for the trespasses of the one man. Verse 18, consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Paul uses the little word one 11 times in these verses. Everything is because of one man. It all comes to us because of one. This is a major point that Paul's making. Adam is humanity's federal head, the one representative of all people. And because of his one sin, even though we weren't present in the garden, we reap the consequences. And those consequences are far-reaching. We've inherited a sin nature, corruption and destruction, condemnation and death. Life is hard. Relationships are hard. Childbearing is painful and hard. Violence in our world. I could go on and on and on. But most importantly, because of this one man, 
death has entered into the equation. We weren't designed to die. We were designed and created to live and enjoy God, live with and enjoy God forever. But because of Adam's decision, all of us are affected. All of us. We might call this guilty by association. And by the way, this goes to everyone. Black, white, nice people, cruel people, informed people, ignorant people, rich people, poor people, innocent infants as much as adults. Any category we can come up with. Guilty by association. If you're like me, I don't like guilty by association. Doesn't this seem unfair? We weren't there. Why should we suffer? Why should we suffer all of that when we didn't even do it? We weren't there in the Garden of Eden. When I was in college, the dorm I lived in, we had a rival dorm. And one time we went too far at, with our pranks. And we pulled a couple pranks on the rival dorm and the college kind of dropped the hammer and they decided be, only four people were involved in this prank in my dorm. Uh, I was not one of them. But they decided to punish everyone who lived in the dorm. I'm sorry, that's unfair. That's terribly unfair. Guilty by association. None of us likes this. None of us thinks it's a good idea. Uh, uh, completely unfair. Now, it probably doesn't... I don't think it matters that much that I thought the pranks were a pretty good idea. <laughs> I mean... Stealing a whole lot of live ducks and that are really loud and letting them out into the door, the rival dorm at 12 midnight. I mean, I thought that was a pretty good idea. Or, you know, we had a whole box, an enormous box of live crickets and letting them out in their rival dorm, you know, in the middle of the night. These, I thought these were hysterical. I laughed, thought they were funny, but I didn't do it, right? <laughs> I wasn't involved in that. Why should I be punished? Guilty by association. I, we don't like it. But we probably, if we don't like it, have to answer this question. Deep down in your heart of hearts, my heart of hearts, how do we answer this question? If it were you in the Garden of Eden, would you have done differently? Or are you saying, no, I'm better than the first man. I, I would have chosen just fine. Or Eve. I'm smarter. More strong-willed. How would we answer that? Carlisle Marney was a noted preacher and author, and he taught for a few years at a Presbyterian seminary. And he was known for his kind of abrupt, honest answers. One day, a student asked him, Dr. Marney, where is the Garden of Eden? Marney replied, 215 Elm Street, Knoxville, Tennessee. You're lying, the student said. It's supposed to be someplace in Asia. Well, you couldn't prove it by me, Marnie said, for there on Elm Street when I was but a boy, I stole a quarter out of my mama's purse and went down and bought some candy and then I ate it and I felt ashamed and I came back to my house and I hid in the closet and it's there that she found me and she said, where are you? Why are you hiding? What have you done? See, every one of us have a Garden of Eden where we turned our back on God. May have, Adam may have started it, but we're all in line with it. We've all felt ashamed. We've all said, God, I can do it on my own. I know better. 
Probably the most watched movie in my house over the last 25 years uh, because our son, who has autism, loves this movie. I mean, it, he's obsessed by it. We watch it all the time. We have, we have for years. Is the movie Beauty and the Beast. Do you know this movie? Do you remember the premise of this movie? The, the beast was a prince, but through a curse, he's turned into an ugly beast. And he is brooding, and it's, and it's dark, and he's angry and withdrawn. But here's the thing about this, this tale. Everyone in that castle suffered because of the beast, right? Everyone was tainted because of what happened to him, and they suffered the consequence of it. And these human beings are turned into objects, so they're less than human. Lumiere is turned into a candlestick, and Cogsworth a clock, and... Mrs. Potts, a teapot, and chip, and they, they are less than because of one man's sin and because of the curse, and that castle is a, a dreadful place to live. They all suffer, and that's what Paul is saying. We all live there under Adam's reign, under his headship, and we're all affected by it. You know, there's a lot of conversation in our world right now about identity. Have you noticed this? People are trying desperately to claim identity for themselves and trying to find who is with me in my identity. And, and we must respect identities and we must use the right pronouns to talk about identities. And we can claim our own individual identity. And it's a lot of yearning by a lot of people to try and find where they fit. But the Bible cuts through that. And what Paul is saying is there's really only two identities. We can identify with Adam and be a part of Adam's lineage and his family. And by the way, that's where, that's our nature, so that's our identity. And so all of this talk about, well, I'm this or this or this or this, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much because this is our actual identity. We're part of Adam's family. And this is really helpful for me to understand, and I think for us. Because if we're all born into Adam's race, it's helpful for me to remember that about everybody I meet. That at their core, they're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We may come from different backgrounds, ethnicities, identities, but we're all made in God's image. And we're all suffering because of what's happened and who we are. It should give us compassion for others who disagree with us or who look different than us or who act different because they're having to live in this house. They may not be aware of it, but they're having to live in this family. That It's not the way it was supposed to be. All right, this is a lot of bad news, right? I mean, this is a lot of bad, hard news about our world and us. But this is only half of the story, and this is what Paul can't wait to get to. In fact, Paul is bringing up a set of incredible news, a great news. It's a setup for what he wants to share. Paul says this whole idea of being represented by someone is actually the best thing we could embrace. It's the best thing that could possibly happen to us. You're saying, wait a minute, hold on. You just said that we're all stuck with Adam's family. We're all guilty by association. We all didn't choose this, but this is our lot. 
we're all represented by one person? Paul says this is really, really good news. Because if we're represented by one, it sets up a way for us to be saved. Because there was a second Adam. Jesus Christ becomes our new federal head. Our new representative. You remember in Beauty and the Beast, Belle, the hero of that movie, she enters into that castle and what does she bring? She brings grace and love and acceptance and patience. And because of that was entered into that, it changes everything. Last week we talked about Jesus as the catalyst. A catalyst is something that keeps its form, but when it's introduced to another form, it changes that one. This is what Paul's saying. He says this in verse 18. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did wrong and all got us all into this trouble, sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting it, us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. Paul says, now Jesus Christ is our new federal head. When we were living under Adam's reign, death was a reality, and it's a reality that all of us had to face every day. One day, every day, is a day closer to my death. That's hard. Under Adam's reign, we had all kinds of fear and anxiety about that. But a catalyst has come and has destroyed our biggest enemies, our two biggest enemies, sin and death. They're defeated. Under Adam's family, we got death. Under Jesus' family, under his headship, we get life. He is the catalyst that changes everything. Now, Paul is thinking, you might be asking a question, okay, are, is there just two great forces in the universe, like Jesus, Adam's force over here and Jesus over here? Um, that might cause me some anxiety, like every day should I be worried about what house I'm in? Right? Every day should I be worried or concerned like, well, I know what this, and maybe I'm in Adam's house and I don't know. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Grace is bigger than, more powerful than, and can cover sin. It can abolish Adam's house. This is not bad on the one side, good on the other side, and both being equal. The dreadful ring in Lord of the Rings is powerful, but grace is more powerful. We learn this when we get to the return of the king. This is not yin-yang. This is not dualism. The equation is skewed on the side of grace. Grace outdistances the crisis. Grace is more powerful than sin. God's love is more powerful, and it leads to eternal life. And the best part is, he does all the work. He comes into the castle, into our house, and he changes everything. It's not us. He does it. On the cross. Paul's saying we can reap all of the benefits of his federal headship. We might not fully understand or even like this principle of federal headship, but I thank God that he operates his cosmic economy on this principle. If we're tempted to say, why should I get punished for what Adam did, did, here's my question. 
then why should we all benefit from what Jesus did? We sure should be thankful that he's willing to be our federal head. We get the benefit because of what one man did. Maybe, uh, maybe a few of you might have heard of the man. There was a man named Dashrath Manji, and he had a nickname. He was known as the Mountain Man. He lived in the rural hills of India, and he lived a quiet life. He tended goats, loved his wife. But one day, his wife was walking along a narrow trail, and she slipped, and she slid down a slope accidentally, and she was injured severely. She had to be taken to the hospital, but the nearest hospital was 45 miles away because the road was narrow and had to wind around the mountains, and they had no vehicle. And because of that long distance, she didn't survive. After this tragedy, this man sold all of his goats. He bought a hammer and a chisel. Now get this, he had a hammer and a chisel. For the next 22 years, he dug a road through the mountain, 30 feet high, 20 feet wide, 360 feet long was the mountain. He dug a road through it to connect his village to the nearby town. He reduced, because of his efforts, the, dr the drive from 45 miles down to four miles. This is what one man did for 22 years with a hammer and a chisel. Think about every single day, the work, the hard, that must have been. He gave his whole life for that. Why? Would he benefit from it? His wife didn't benefit from it. He did all that work so that future generations would, be get, would get help quickly. So that they would get care that they needed. They would reap the benefits of one man's effort of one man's labor. So as impressive as that is, Jesus is far more and far greater and gave up even more. He chiseled through the mountain of our sin that separates us from a holy God by forgiving us, and he cleared a path, a path to God once and for all, and it was so costly. Jesus really did love us, really does care for us, because he went through so much so that we didn't have to live under Adam's house anymore. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Friends, if we're living under Adam's headship, we're going to have a lot of anxiety and fear. There's probably going to be a lack of joy. A lot of wondering about the day we are going to die someday. But under Jesus' headship, we can't wait to come and gather together with like-minded friends once a week, sing, hear his words about his promises, and thank him. Thank him that we can live under a new household, a new family, one where death is taken away, where he becomes our head where we know that he's good and kind and faithful and he'll never forsake us and never leave us. His grace is more, it's bigger. It can push through anything we've done 
any thoughts we've had that can cover us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Jesus, that he came for us, and by his work on the cross, he gives us a new home to live in. Help us this week to, to revel in and relax in that joy and in that knowledge, and to remember that he is our head, that we are his subjects, that he's done all the work. Help us to rem be reminded that these words are true. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn.